taken like a week and a half off because you went to the family estate. <sighs> yes, I did. I went to the cabin with Casey and Stella, the puppy, and it was fiance and pop, fiance and pop, and it was so much fun. Just like it's just nice being out there, and uh, there's also a great uh, pressure to do nothing, uh-huh. like. Because it's the family cabin. So it's not like you're spending money to be somewhere. You're literally just there and you can do whatever you want. So like there was a day I just sat there and ate cheese curls with Casey because he was feeling a little sick after his second dose of the vaccine. Right. Thankfully, it was just the day after and he was just a little tired. So I was like, yeah, let's just watch TV today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was perfect. (laughs) That is. That's great. I I mean, it's nice, but it feels like forever since we've done this. It does. It does. I was a little like out of rhythm I felt like especially because we didn't do a regular episode last week so oh yeah I felt especially out of rhythm <laughs> well I hope everybody liked it it was a lot of fun to listen to yeah I really liked it so I hope that everybody else did too and which is exactly what you just said um <laughs> which is the problem I was having last week too is I felt like I was not making sense but yeah I just thought it was really cool to hear different t- like stories that people in other cultures might hear all the time, but like I've never heard of. Right. So it was just really fun. But we're not here to talk about last week. No, we're here to about, talk about this week and history. <laughs> On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women from history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because oh, women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. No. <laughs> and yet you still join us on Patreon. Alicia, the Hello. newest patron. We're so Welcome. excited to have you. <laughs> oh. Such a blast. And it's such a fun little community. Everyone there is so great and so sweet. So thank you all and welcome, Alicia. Yeah, we hope you're finding new friends. We're all starting to listen to all the same podcasts. And yeah. now we're like an <laughs> inner circle of podcast friends. Yeah, it is funny because I was looking at the reviews of another podcast. I was like, oh, look, they, they reviewed our podcast too. And I think I recommended this podcast. So maybe they listened. <laughs> and like um, the podcast we listen to, like I noticed like their Instagram likes. So the same people who mm-hmm. like ours and I'm like, oh my gosh, we are a crew, 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 crew. <sighs> Love it. Okay. So, but you're busy. You're really busy. <laughs> the busiest. You are getting the dead cicada shells off of your trees because they are infiltrating the east coast if you are in the midwest right now things are a popping mm-hmm. not the midwest the middle of the east coast yeah the middle of the east coast so Atlantic. we're in the thick of it ali has more than i do because i'm God. farther south farther you'll south. get them you'll i get think em. they're gonna come this weekend for mm-hmm. me i'm a little nervous so, so. for people who don't know every <laughs> teen every 17 years brood x is a group of cicadas that show up this is the second time i've dealt with it in my life your second time too Mm -hmm. it's producer's third because he was born in april of that year oh come on baby baby (laughs) but there is something like i think they say 35 cicadas per square foot in the area it is you can't get in your car you can't walk outside your house so you're busy it's literally a swarm of locusts it is yeah it's a plague it's a plague a plague on top of a pandemic this is a nightmare (laughs) Um, 2021 But you're doing that, so you can't look up what these women look like because if you bring your phone up, they will literally take your phone and fly it away. (laughs) Um, So we're going to describe what these women look like so you can get a picture in your head while we're telling their stories. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? 
I am doing the wondrous Sister Rosetta Tharp. And when she was young, she had like a thin, angular face with mm-hmm. big eyes and long, arching eyebrows. Um, and a big smile and this short, like curled hair. And her skin was like medium brown and flawless. As she aged, she rounded out a bit, but all of her stunning facial features remained the same. Um, but what most lays consistent with her throughout her life is her ability to wear heels and a dress whilst hoisting a guitar. Ooh, a guitar? A guitar. That's so cool. I know. There are so few, like, really famous female guitar players. Yeah, this is the number <coughs> one. She's she's the gem. Sorry. Are you dying? <coughs> I was going to say, it's like her and, like, Carrie Brownstein from Slater Kenny. Yeah, there's not I know there's lot. so many others, mm-hmm. but, like... And Avril I guess. Um, gem? <laughs> Jewel, you mean? No, I meant gem, like the Barbie cartoon. Oh. <laughs> um, or like uh, Taylor Swift. <laughs> she hoists a guitar. That's true. She does hoist a guitar. Um, well, what does your okay. woman look like and who is she? So I am doing Dido Elizabeth Bell. There's like a really famous painting of her. Uh-huh. She's being One kind of famous painting. Sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> I feel like she's being sneaky, right? I don't oh, know yeah. anything about the painting. So we know that she was a very beautiful, like people talk about her beauty a lot, and she was a biracial woman with dark curly hair, typically pulled up, we assume, uh, large shining eyes and the most just the cutest dimples. Mm. Uh, she wore beautiful silk dresses of the latest fashion, and she was typically adorned with very fine jewelry. Uh, we know definitely pearls uh, and just accessories fit for any young aristocrat of the 1700s. In her portrait, she is wearing a white silvery silk wrap dress and a white bejeweled turban with an ostrich feather coming out of it. And she is carrying a basket of fruit while looking mischievously at the viewer. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. I mean, she really does look so sneaky in that painting. Oh, yeah. It's so cute. Um, Okay. So do you want to know what you're about to drink? I do. It looks so regal. So regal. So this is called Lady Bell. Uh, So you put you mu- put mint and a pinch of sugar in the bottom of the cocktail shake and you kind of muddle it together uh, and then I put an ounce of peach snap- schnapps and two ounces of bourbon you shake that up together strain it and then you top the whole thing with champagne and garnish it with mint and uh, sorry everyone whilst we're drinking my dog's being crazy in the background <laughs> mm. it's not my fault no one else is at home to play with her this is delicious mm. um it reminds me a lot of um like what is that like? Like a mint julep? Yeah, the peach schnapps is really interesting on the mm-hmm. back end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to buy new peach schnapps, didn't you? No, I didn't. I had literally just enough. Okay, because we just used cocktail. it on Sunday. So we had Black Eyed Susans on Sunday because it was Preakness weekend in Maryland. And that's mm-hmm. the Preakness drink for people who aren't into the the second race of the Triple Crown. Mm-hmm. But there will be no <laughs> Triple Crown this year. No. Nope. Um, also, uh, controversy because one of the horses was like drug i know <laughs> taking <crazy>. the roids <laughs> but yeah the the one who the horse that won the preakness came from like behind wasn't even a prospective winner mm. and the jockey was in pink mm. get this pink loved Love it. it um all right but yeah so i also i wanted to make sure that we topped it with champagne because she's great. a fucking lady it is she is a lady this okay so this is all i know about her you want to know what i know i do okay i feel like she's one of the very few women of color who was a british aristocrat and i think possibly even part of a 
possibly part of a royal family or at the very least like a, a lady of the yeah. court yeah um and that was extraordinarily rare for women of color yes and that's... i'm assuming her mom was probably a slave yes okay i'm just guessing yes 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 okay um, so tell me tell me tell me okay so i got a lot of this from wikipedia obviously the podcast good witches and bad bitches um a guardian article written by Stuart jeffries and the youtube video a stitch in time which is a great youtube video series that kind of looks at historical figures like through clothing so they took the portrait of dido bell and like she like went through everything and they talked about how like it's so crazy that like the like the cotton and like the silk or whatever that was used from like it, to make her dress and make her clothing was like produced by slaves you know and like they literally took us to like the old machines and they had someone like recreate her dress using everything they could find that would have been like made in the style. So it was really, it was a cool series. Um, and we have it for a couple other people. So that is pretty cool. I would love, yeah. it's like, I mean, that's anthropology at its finest, Ugh, right? Like breaking yeah. down a literal item to, um, see what you can learn about a person we know nothing about. Exactly. Okay. Tell me, regale me with her life. Okay. So Dido Elizabeth Bell was born into slavery in 1761. Some sources say that she was born in the West Indies and others say that she was born in England. Mm. So her mother was a young slave woman, um, Maria Bell or Mariah Bell. Um, we're not sure if that was really her name. And if it is, it was probably given to her because she was originally from Africa and obviously taken. Um, her father was 24-year-old Sir John Lindsay. He was a career naval officer and a member of the Lindsay family of Evelix, who they have, like, long family ties to the clans of Scotland, and his family is, a, you know, his uncle, who we'll get to, is the Earl of Mansfield. So, so like, they're, like, deep, old-blooded. Deep, yes, exactly. Old money, old blood, old castle. <laughs> old court. And, I mean, in the oldest of oh, the yeah. old colonies exactly of the greats so he first encountered um dido's mother maria bell on a spanish slave ship um that they had captured so she was a spanish slave that was being taken to the caribbean islands um but they intercepted it and captured it he obviously had a sexual encounter with her most likely rape um but when he discovered that she was pregnant in one version of the story, he chooses to take her from the ship and he brought her back to England with him so that their daughter, would, Dido, would be born in England. Um, but, of course, there are other sources that say that she did go on to the West Indies and gave birth to Dido there, so we're not 100% sure. But, you know, in the beginning, she lived her life as a typical illegitimate mulatto child of the 1700s with her mother uh, in relative poverty. But when she was five years old, things changed. She was baptized as Dido Elizabeth Bell in 1766 at St. George's Bloomsbury. Um, she was not given her father's name, so her name is not officially Lindsay, um, but she was given her mother's name, Bell. She was given Elizabeth after her great uncle's first wife, who we'll get to, and she was named Dido after the mythical Queen of Carthage. Where was I when that was happening? <laughs> I know. It was also the name of like a really popular play at the time. So mm. it was a name that was like very much in the fashion. And all in all, like her uncle would like say at one point that like her name was meant to signal that this girl was precious and like you should treat her with respect. Excellent. Which I love. Um, but shortly after she was baptized, when she was just five years old, she was taken away from her mother. 
Some no. say that the mother died. That's like the most commonly accepted theory because it didn't seem like there were any big issues with her being with her mom. And that's how mm. the film portrays it, I believe, is that her mother died. Okay. Um, others say that she was forcibly taken. Um, and then some say that Maria Bell had an opportunity um, to move to Pensacola, Florida. So Sir John Lindsay had a plot of land there, and some say that he gifted it to Maria Bell. But so we're not sure then, like, if maybe he was like, if you give me Dido, I don't, I don't know why he wanted her, but he did. And he's mm. like, so maybe the deal is like, if you give me Dido, I'll give you this piece of land in Florida. You can go there and like live there. I don't really know. I don't know if she was freed. And again, I don't know if she just died because that's the most commonly accepted situation right right how so, uh how hardcore was the propaganda at your high school to get to go to pensacola university oh my god <laughs> they were like come to pensacola we have 10 water slides and, and we're like wow sidewalks <laughs> but you have to wear a one piece and you're not allowed to talk to boys ever like literally like you had to go on like chaperone dates in your senior year that's like the most you can do at pensacola and i was like check no thank you that sounds awful every like <laughs> every what? single private school in maryland pushes pensacola university like it's their lifeblood mm. um Horrible. anyway anytime i hear the word pensacola i'm sure it's a pleasant pleasant florida town yeah but so maybe she lived there maybe she didn't maybe she wore maybe one she piece founded bathing the suit. college who knows <laughs> and so it just i keep not knowing what to make of john Lindsay because if you tell the story one way he's a total monster and if you tell it another way he seems like a pretty good guy and we know that he didn't have any other children so it's like i don't know what to make of him yeah. it's probably somewhere in the middle you know and i just i don't no. <laughs> and I think that's the most frustrating part, you know? Yeah, that is but troublesome. Either way, Sir John Lindsay, when she was five years old, brought her to his family's home, Kenwood House in Hampstead. And it was here that he left Dido in the care of his uncle, William Murray, the Earl of Mansfield. He was a very prominent lawyer, a politician, and later judge. Um, and he lived there with his wife, Elizabeth Murray, the Countess of Mansfield, um, the woman she was partially named after. Okay. And they didn't have any children of their own, which I'm guessing is why people kept giving them kids. Because <laughs> um, thankfully, Belle wasn't alone in the house. Uh, the Earl and the Countess had actually another young lady under their care. It was their niece and Dido's cousin, Lady Elizabeth um, Murray, who had also lost her mother. So now you have Elizabeth and Dido, two they're like second cousins, and they're living in the same house with their great uncle and aunt. And the two girls were only a year apart. This is modern family. I know. <laughs> so the two girls were only a year apart. So they took Belle and thinking like, oh, this will be a good playmate. And then she'll turn like, you know, eventually just turn into like her lady's maid or whatever. But as they grew up together, it, there was not really like a lady maid, like, you know, master, mistress kind of thing. It was informal. They were just it was informal. Best friends. Great. They spent all their time together. They loved each other they were very affectionate with one another um and like they just didn't treat bell any different you know except for when they were around other people in public okay which sucks um so one of the examples like the clear examples of this is that she wasn't allowed to dine with guests even though on all other nights she dined with the family but when they had company she wasn't allowed to 
But she wasn't completely hidden away. So some people even wrote about meeting Dido. One philosopher wrote in his book, Elements of Moral Science, how shocked he was that there was a young black girl who could recite poetry and speak, quote, with a degree of elegance, which would have been admired in any English child of her years, which also tells us that she was well-educated. She could read. She could write. She had all the mannerisms of a typical aristocratic young woman Mm. but she was black (laughs) it's very interesting because it reminds me of sally hemmings going to school and like hanging out with jefferson's daughters when they were in france and like all her friends writing letters and referring to sally in the letters yeah and it's just like well yeah she's also here but we're not gonna like Put it in the portrait. Right. <laughs> We're just going to hush-hush it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And even though she could not dine with guests, she was allowed to join the ladies after dinner for coffee and, like, walks in the garden and whatnot. Mm. And one person recalled um, his encounter saying, a black came in after dinner and sat with the ladies and after coffee walked with the company in the gardens, one of the young ladies having her arm within the other. He calls her Dido, which I suppose is all the name she has. He knows he has been reproached for showing fondness for her. I dare say not criminal. So we learn a few things from this. Number one, Elizabeth was not afraid to show physical affection towards Dido in front of strangers. In the company of others. Yeah, which so is even though like she's not allowed to have dinner, like once Dido appears, Elizabeth treats her just like she would any other day. It's not like when guests are over, she's shunned. Like, I mean, she's walking her arm in arm with her best friend. It's her sister. They grew up together. Yeah. And it shows us that Uncle Murray wasn't ashamed to show his fondness for her either, even though people are judging him for it. I mean, he says he knows he has been reproached for showing fondness for her. Mm. So we know from the household accounts that Dido was given an allowance of about 20 or 30 pounds a year, which is about 2,700 pounds in today's money. And she was also given birthday gifts and Christmas gifts. And there's also a note that they had her bed reglazed and redecorated, all signaling that she was very much a part of the family and someone that they didn't see as like an inconvenience. Like they cared for her. They wanted her to have nice things and to feel like a part of everything. But we also can't ignore the fact that she was technically listed as the property of Lord Mansfield. Her title was never changed from slave. She was never officially freed. So even though she was treated very well, I mean, she's their property. And even though she was given a healthy allowance, Elizabeth, her cousin, was being given 100 pounds a year versus like her 20 or 30. So there's obviously a few differences in their overall treatment. But when Dido was a bit older, Uncle Murray was aging and his wife had passed. So Dido actually spent most of her time taking down his dictations and taking care of paperwork and letters for him, basically becoming his personal secretary. She also managed the dairy and poultry farm. So she was a really busy young woman who was given a lot of responsibility. Just, again, things that normally like women of color like weren't permitted to do. Mm. But in March of 1793, Lord Mansfield passed away, which allowed him to give Dido a few final gifts. He officially confirmed her freedom, so she was no longer listed as a slave. 
And to further secure her future after his death, he gave her 500 pounds in his will and made a provision that she would get 100 pounds a year for the rest of her life. Wow. I know. Like, taking set care of her. Up. Yeah, set really it up. Really fucking set her up. After this, Dido married a Frenchman named Jean Devigny on December 5th, 1793. The two had three sons, uh, twins, Charles and John, both baptized at St. George's, the same place she was on May 8th, uh, 1795. And William Thomas baptized at the same place on January 26th, 1802. The French come off in our stories as so good. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, is it why Disney chose a french prince for the mm. princess and the frog i always thought that it was such an interesting choice because i yeah. think they you know they were going with a very historically accurate like segregation period right and then to make him a french prince makes it like possible you know yeah no it definitely in does. a very interesting way mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know but John De- Devigny seems like a pretty good guy. Good job for the French. <laughs> go, go the French again yep. for, for accepting <laughs> Josephine Baker, for accepting Bessie Coleman. Mm-hmm. How many, how many women of color have we talked about who were found like refuge in France? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, they had their sons and really we don't know much else about her life, but it does seem like a love match between her and John. Um, and but she died unfortunately at the age of forty three in eighteen oh five. Hate that. So her babies were like pretty young. <gasps> I know she was forty three years old. That's so young. I'm like closer to that than than like twenty three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> but even though her life was short, there are a few things that really make her stand out in history. Number one is the infamous painting of her and Elizabeth. It depicts Elizabeth sitting front and center in a very traditional pink dress, you know, book in hand, flower crown. (laughs) And Dido is to her right. Dido appears to be very playful and she's kind of like running away, very different from Elizabeth. She also has her right hand up to her face and she's literally like poking in her dimple while carrying a basket of fruit in her left arm. I'm going to be honest. It looks like two different paintings. It does. Yeah, absolutely. When I look at it, I'm like, that can't be. Yeah. And like she just has this very fun and like mischievous look about her. Um, As I said, in the physical, she's wearing a white silvery dress and a white turban with jewels with an ostrich feather. She's also wearing a pearl necklace and pearl earrings. And you see Elizabeth kind of reaching behind her and touching Dido, kind of like, like, we're close. Like, I'm reaching out to touch her. We are close. And originally people thought that it was just a regular portrait, maybe like a little odd that she's wearing pearls and they're touching (laughs) um but you know like a regular portrait of an aristocrat um with her lady in waiting but in the 1980s historians discovered evidence of dido's life and the portrait and what it meant changed dramatically they now realize that the, the two are purposefully painted as near equals and the original interpretation of dido's positioning her clothing her accessories has long been thought of as a way of signaling the difference between her and elizabeth the standard versus the exotic but which you know might be true but in 2019 the portrait appeared on a british show and um called like faker real or something like that okay um and it was revealed faker fraud i think um it was revealed that the painting had been accredited to the wrong artist (gasps) 
for years. Really? Mm-hmm. It was actually painted by a Scottish painter, which makes sense because their clan was originally their family was originally from Scotland, a man named David Martin. And this might not seem like a very like important fact, like weren't all like white painters the fucking same back then, but it's important because when scholars started to look at his other works, they noticed lots of white women dressed and posed similarly to Dido in wrapped dresses and turbans with their hands on their cheeks. And it may still be his intention to exotify Dido, but it makes a lot of people think that this is just what he painted. He painted and what he liked to have women dressed in, like the options he had in his studio. Because like there like certain things, like there's this one gauzy sheer shawl in many of his portraits, just kind of suggesting like that was the box of props. Right. <laughs> like you could pick from it. Like Well, it's interesting because when I look at the painting, I feel like he took a bitmoji of each of those women mm. and put them in the shot. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes more sense in that way where it's like they, they almost don't look like they don't they go together in the yeah. painting and it was just like okay well if that's what his box of props is and it's like they sat down and she was like i'm the fun one yeah exactly like, okay you get up and i'm gonna have you running away and paint you like this and like i'm the serious one We're right exactly well and that's what people think they're like maybe she chose that because she was more adventurous and like like elizabeth was like no i just want a traditional picture yeah <laughs> because it kind of makes me think of like that's how like Eliza would be like, just like sitting front and like, I'm going to take the photo as it should be taken. Meaning my daughter, Eliza. Yeah, Eliza. Yeah. <laughs> and then Caroline being like, give me a feather and a basket of fruit <laughs> and a boa, a boa. I want a feather boa. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's the thing with them. Um, when we take photographs now, you know, when I was young i'm gonna sound old here but like the windy cameras it was like okay you have 23 shots Mm -hmm. when you're painting you get one now i have 37 pictures on my phone of the same thing Mm -hmm. so there isn't like a variety of a of like take a serious one take a smiley one take a fun one it's just like this is you for all the ages yeah exactly And it's just interesting, too, because, like, really diving into the painting and looking at his other works, like, the material just in her turban is in at least four other portraits used for different things. It's, like, the same, like, gauzy fabric that has jewels and then a star, like, it's really interesting, like, seeing what we would see in a photograph, you know, if I wore the same dress to three different weddings, which God forbid I do, but like people would see it and like, but this is in a portrait, like in of right. different people, but they're obviously wearing the same fabric. It's really interesting. I love that. Um, when you know what you're good at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think the most important part of the portrait is simply that it exists and young British girls can see a beautiful posh woman of color painted as the heiress that she was. And it was this portrait that inspired the interest in her and the research of her and eventually the movie about her life. In 2013, Gugu Mbatha-Raw starred as Dido in the film Belle, which 
She is so beautiful in great that movie. Great casting. Also, great, great casting yeah. for the little Dido. Like, the young girl who plays her looks exactly like the actress. I love when they spot on. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. When you're like, is that really them when they uh, were a kid? Did they super Exactly. Face? <laughs> for sure. It just, and I love that this film exists, and it really makes, like, even just that little we know about her story, like, really come to life. I don't know, like... Some historians say it's very historically accurate and others say it's not. So, but again, like we don't have too much to go on. So, mm. <laughs> but I just think it's incredible that there is this British period drama that was written and directed by black women. Amana, uh, Ama Asante directed it and Misan Sage wrote the screenplay. Like Perfect. I was watching all these featurettes on the movie and I was just like, I didn't even know that like there were like black female directors making these million dollar movies in Britain, Britain, Great Britain. Like that's so cool. It's just because we just talk about Hollywood all the time. It's (laughs) true. But it was really just great hearing them talk about how much Dido meant to them. Mm -hmm. Like, like they were like, I didn't know that we existed back then. Like that's amazing. I can't imagine having your history like ignored like that because it's not, necessarily erased i think a lot of times we talk about erasing history it's not there because it was ignored Mm. it was purposefully ignored that's a very good point to make about it yeah absolutely and and it's so frustrating because there's so many people who can't look back and be like that that's my hero yeah because you weren't given the chance to pick one yeah but we're not going to end on the portrait of the movie uh oh, where are we ending? We're gonna add on what I think is probably the most important part of her legacy, and that is her influence on her uncle, the Earl of Mansfield. So, as I said before, he was a judge with a lot of influence, and later in his career, he was ruling on a landmark case, Somerset versus Stewart. So, James Somerset was a slave who had been purchased by a man named Charles Stewart in Boston and then taken back to England. Once in England, he escaped, but was quickly captured and sent to prison. But then, this is weird. I don't understand this quite quite much. His three godparents from his English baptism, which (laughs) I guess these are just like, it seemed like they were just like three white people who like stood up for him and they came to his defense and they claimed habeas corpus, which I also didn't know what that meant. And they said, you can't just keep him in prison for no reason. I didn't know that that's what it meant. They go either charge him that's a thing. and let him go to court or release him. They're like, you can't just keep him locked up because you're mad at him. So he went to court and his defense lawyer was a, na- a man named Granville Sharp who had been waiting for a case like this. So Granville Sharp was a prominent abolitionist in England, and he had been looking for a case to bring to court to prove that slavery was illegal. So he took the case, and Lord Mansfield was the residing judge. Sharp argued that while colonial laws might permit slavery, neither the common law of England nor any statutory law made by Parliament recognized the existence of slavery. (gasps) So slavery was therefore unlawful. It was a simple matter of it just not existing in writing or any on any like legal books. So if slavery was never legalized, it must be illegal. It's very interesting because 
a lot of constitutions and documents of that era purposely did not use the word slavery mm-hmm. because the men writing it knew it was wrong. But yeah. We're like, but it's fun. Exactly. And he is now taking advantage of that being somebody like, needed. It's to. not on the books. It isn't. Where does it say that he owns? Like, what? Like, where does it say that you can own another person on a book's fucking show me? Yo, the Constitution doesn't use the word slave ever. Yeah. Ever. So Mansfield takes all this. He deliberates. And he comes back with his verdict. And he says, slavery is so odious that nothing can be suffered to support it but positive law. Whatever inconveniences, therefore, may follow from a decision... I cannot say this case is allowed or approved by the law of England, and therefore the black must be discharged, meaning Somerset won, and he was a free man. I mean, this is unheard of. This is Atticus Finch. A white, like really, a white (laughs) judge siding with a black man? Even today is surprising, (laughs) let alone in the 1700s. This is crazy. Yeah, that's unbelievable. When Great Britain is like at the height of the slave trade, like it's insane now this ruling did not abolish slavery that wouldn't happen until 1834 but it was a huge step forward and ironically a lot of people though they heard about the verdict and they thought that slavery was abolished in england so apparently and i would love to know if this is actually true or not people freed their slaves because they were like oh my gosh i didn't know slavery was illegal my bae and between (laughs) fourteen thousand and fifteen thousand slaves were freed after this ruling i hope that's true Because I was like, that's an incredible fact. It's like people, people are so uncomfortable with doing something illegal, but they're not uncomfortable with like destroying human rights. Exactly. (laughs) It's like if it's a a civil law, it's fine with that. If it's just morally incorrect, then I don't give a shit. But of course, this had no effect on international slaves. And I love that Ben Franklin weighed in on this, a person who was apparently against slavery, but still owned slaves. So I don't know what to make of that. I, mean, I so didn't look too much into all it. The founding I know. Well, no, that's not true. Not all of them. Some of them fucking love slavery. But people yeah. like <laughs> people like Ben Franklin and George Washington. There are a couple of people who were like opposed to it, but weren't willing weren't to do willing it to give it up. I mean, it's yeah. like the fiscal Republicans. Yeah, I voted for Trump because he's good for the economy. Yeah, blah 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 blah. Yeah, blah blah blah. I'm against slavery, but it's good for my economy. But I love this. Um. He said of the case, could tea sweetener, meaning sugar, which is why I had to put a little bit in here, could tea sweetener really be so necessary as for Britain to keep hundreds of thousands of humans in bondage on its plantations? You're priding yourself on freeing slaves at home while keeping people enslaved literally all over the world. Obviously, I paraphrase that. But no, that's but yeah, that's saying. true. The sugar sugar is the number one thing that kept yeah. slaves. Because we, we talk a lot about cotton and tobacco, but in terms of especially the british slave trade like sugar sugar was it and like especially in the caribbean islands like in the america proper it was cotton and tobacco but in the caribbean islands the sugar that was terrible i mean and i mean hate the the slaves in haiti were Mm. tortured yeah no they absolutely were But, I mean, I feel like this is what's been happening forever, though. I mean, like, yes, like, moves like this are big, and it's so great when, like, court cases like this come back in, like, in a surprising way. But it's... It's unprecedented. It's unprecedented, but it's rare that they're ever enough. Mm -hmm. And 
huge things like inequality just take constant work and effort, but it is always worth it to do the work. For sure. And it might not seem like Dido had much to do with the case, but most historians agree that Lord Mansfield probably would not have ruled in the same way if it wasn't for his love and affection for his great niece, Dido Elizabeth Bell. So you know what? We're just going to attribute that to her. (laughs) And that's the story of Dido. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. I was, I mean, you know, I, I knew of the painting, obviously, and I knew that she was like a woman of color who was a British aristocrat, but this is just so much more fun. It's so much fun. And like, I really believe that she had a good life. I think that there are some parts that she really fucking hated. And like, I, but I, I think that she's just such an important person to have existed, you know? And also it just seemed like her family leveled with her. It seemed like they were like, listen, sit out dinner and it, it fucking sucks. I love it when someone's honest with you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This situation's going to suck. Come to my work party. Everybody's going to hate you. Yeah. And just afterwards we'll like have sex and have ice cream. Like whatever. Like I think like if you can level with somebody, it makes things so much more like, um, palatable. I think so too. Yeah. And she was leveled with, I think so too. So it doesn't make it right. No, it does not make it right, but it makes it, um, so that you can swallow it down and, um, try to live, a less, a life with less anger in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right. Well, you ready for more drinks? So ready. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. So long. modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. I'm Lexi. I'm Haley. And I'm Alana. And we're covering the good, the bad, and the ugly of women's history. Tune in to Lady History every Thursday to hear about different ladies across history and cultures, from astronauts to zoologists. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LadyHistoryPod, and find us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, okay. We are back for part two. Okay. I haven't told a long story in over two weeks. <laughs> I knew this one was going to be long. Ooh, it's not super long. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I think she's great. Can you tell me what you know about sister Rosetta Tharp? Okay. So I know that she was like the woman that Elvis like took all of his songs from, from what I understand. Um, I know that she was a musician. She was so good. She basically like invented rock and roll from what I understand. Yes. Um, but she didn't get like any of the credit until tonight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's it. I'm the one. (laughs) I also know that I always saw her name. Last name was Thorpe. It's Tharp, but it's Tharp. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but that's like all I know is like Elvis rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. Um, and Elvis is just like such a little part of the story, which yeah. is really, really great for me because I know like that's what's related to her. Um, I'm excited to tell her story. It's not super long, but it's super beautiful and it wasn't super hard to research. And there's a lot of great resources out there, um, especially for the people who love music. Like mm. she's super available. Um, talking to you, Miss Krista. So <laughs> I made a sense. Sangria. Okay. And the reason I made a sangria is because 
Um, Rosetta lived in so many places in this country and soaked up music from so many places that it made her. She's she's known as the grandmother of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So this recipe is called Play Like a Woman. And I tried to infuse things from jazz, blues, country, like all of the different assets of things that existed in her life that like grew to become the roots of rock and roll. Yeah. So I think a, a sangria is great with that. So I included um, a quarter of an orange, strawberries, but sliced mm-hmm. vertically, raspberries whole, uh, like a half a bottle of white wine split between two people. Like mm-hmm. I put it, a half a bottle of white wine in there. And then I used Grand Manier, but you can mm. use any mm-hmm. orange liqueur. You could use triple sec if you wanted. I just wanted it to be a little bit more lavish. And then mint leaves. Because oh, I, I just it. wanted to travel across the nation and just like get a taste of every type of music. Absolutely. Well, cheers. Mm. Oh. It's just mostly white wine with fruit in it. I love it. <laughs> It's great. I also love that we got two new sangrias this season. I know. And I never make sangrias. But I love them so much. I know. (laughs) I know you do. I just, um, they make me really uncomfortable because it's hard for me to, to mix liquor and wine. Well, it's funny because that's how I felt about my cocktail. But the whole reason I wanted to mix like bourbon and champagne was because I was like, like so good. Belle is mixing things that she like technically shouldn't have been. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to mix things that like I shouldn't be, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, and I love that. Like, that's kind of what this is like. Yeah. And I, yeah, I love it. I it's think a it's a big old mix. I think it's great. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it. And the recipe that we're going to post uh, for play like a woman is in batch form so mm-hmm. that you can serve it in a pitcher. Yep. Um, Okay. Are you ready for this story? I'm so ready. Let's do it. So Rosetta was born on March 20th, 1915. So only a little over 100 years ago. And her name was Rosetta Newbin at birth. She was born in the Mississippi Delta in Cotton Plant, Arkansas. Uh, and it's this little southern town with wooden houses. Exactly what you would picture in early 20th century southern America. Her parents were both cotton pickers. Little's known about her father, except that he was a beautiful singer. Mm. He had like a unnaturally wonderful voice. Um, so she's usually categorized with her mom's last name, not her dad's last name. Um, her mom's name is Katie Bell. Oh, no way. Which Bell is the last name of your person. And Katie's my name. That's insane. Katie Bell is also the girl in Harry Potter. Yes. She touches the necklace and floats up into the air. Oh, my God. She's on the Quidditch team. I don't know. Crazy. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, her mom's name is Katie Bell. And Katie Bell sticks around in this story for a while. But her mom, Katie, played the mandolin. Shout out to my best friend who is a mandolin player. Who? Claire. No way. Her and Casey should jam together. Casey plays the mandolin. You're a liar. I'm not. (laughs) We're 
soulmates. We're a bit How blue. does Claire play the mandolin? That she grew up playing the mandolin. <laughs> what? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Okay, we need to have a barbecue immediately. <laughs> mandolin barbecue only. <laughs> only for mandolin players. Miss <laughs> Krista, you can come. The annual <laughs> mandolin barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn mandolin munchies. Crabs. <laughs> <laughs> With old guys. Uh, yes. Okay. So her mom not only played the mandolin like Claire and fiance, like Bestie and fiance, but was also a deaconess at the church and a woman speaker in this like evangelical group that promoted women as preachers. So like her mom is very empowered in the sense of like, I I'm a part of the church and I deserve to be. The dog's coming back. We locked her out. She found a new way. <laughs> Get on the couch. Mary. No, if we ignore her, she'll get up. There. Okay. Okay. So um, the problem is like, so her dad is kind of like out of the picture, but her mom is like a traditional stomp down Christian, mm-hmm. like evangelical. We're going to clap. We're going to sing. We're going to have visions while we're singing. This is great. Snake in the boots in the ground. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like what? I got a snake in my boots. <laughs> <laughs> That's immediately what I thought. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I, I, uh, it was like firing on all cylinders in my head <laughs> because I always think of like, <laughs> was it an internal combustion engine? It was. And, uh, I'm not going to describe my thought pattern because it was outrageous. I loved it. Um, I loved every second of it. So just continue. She, and ignore me. <laughs> I will. She was encouraged by her mother, Katie and Rosetta started to sing and play her guitar. And little Rosetta at the age of four is cited as like a musical prodigy. She could play a lot of things. And it was just this greasy jazz vocal music of sound that like people didn't quite get. Her mom had no fear, though, either. She would sit outside on a chair on the streets with a tambourine singing and, like, converting people to God. Like, come to the church. We've all seen one. Oh, yeah. Get here. Get here. So, in 1921, Katie is like, I don't need to be with this man anymore who I don't like. So, they leave her father and go in the 1920s to Chicago. (gasps) That's Should where Mr. Capone is. <gasps> and did they meet up? Uh, I think they were best friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has nothing to do with this story. I just thought it was interesting that 1920s Chicago was a choice that they yeah. made. Like, okay. Like, gang violence, please. And get thank here, you. get here. Who was your girl? Who was your girl who was the detective there? Alice Clement. Yeah, they were there the same time as Alice. That's so, so wild. Having a party together, maybe, but not. So. <laughs> At this point, Rosetta is like six years old and now she's in Chicago and her, you know, her mom's working in the church circuit. So Rosetta is listening to music of these migrants from all over the country because people are moving north because of Jim Crow laws, obviously. And a lot of people categorize Rosetta as a country singer because she was born in the Mississippi Delta. Okay. But she's not a country singer. I want to make that very clear. At six years old, she was living in the urban center of Chicago. She's influenced by migrant sound. Yeah. But she is herself grew up in an urban area. 
So it's very different, like an urban religious sector. It's very Well, that's what I kind of like about her so far is like, that's what makes me think that probably is leading her to rock and roll is that she's pulling from so many influences that a lot of people don't normally get. Exactly. (laughs) It's exactly right. Especially in the time of no internet or cell phones. Mm -hmm. Like she's only influenced by literally like her travels. What she can hear. What she can hear. And she's hearing so much not only the south but in chicago all the different people showing up and especially like people that are musical like i'm so jealous of like musical prodigies Mm. because like i wish i was musical at all but i'm not um and i i feel like they hear the world differently Mm. and like i can pass by a sound and not think twice about it but i feel like they clock it and i feel like she is traveling and clocking every fucking sound that's so funny because that's how I feel about artists. I've never thought that yeah. about music, but I've always thought like, I wish I could draw that, but I know I can't. Yeah, I know I can't. <laughs> that's a talent for somebody else in another time. <laughs> but it would be beautiful. <laughs> but, it would be, but wouldn't it be cool if I can, could draw? <laughs> can I even photograph that with my iPhone? Probably not. Um, okay. So she joins, I mean, still six years old, joins Robert's Temple Church of God in Christ and again, it's not a rural church. God it's a very, and Christ. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Both. Okay. Wow. Father and son. Two for one. No Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but it is rural. It's not rural. It's very urban. So she's six years old and she is like billed as the head singer. They are like, as the sermon's going on, they're putting her up on top of the grand piano with her little baby guitar. Oh my God. And she's just like playing and she's like drawing people in everybody's like oh my gosh she's great um so she starts to become this main attraction by 10 she was seen as an all-purpose musician which means like you can play the guitar and then something else happens and you run over and you take over the piano and then you go take over the other instrument and then you go and dance and then you go so she's performing and she is proficient at 10 years old in all of these instruments I've never been more jealous in my life. I know. And I think that, honestly, about the music teachers at my middle school. I'm like, (laughs) how are you playing the clarinet and then the flute and then the drums and then the piano? How do you do that? I'm impressed if people can play, like, the tambourine and the triangle. One. One instrument. I just want one instrument that I can play. Can you believe if somebody's proficient in one instrument and then they go and play the other one and you're like, well, damn. Okay. I I can't even play the recorder. Um, I can do hot cross buns pretty pretty serious (laughs) 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 we definitely did that um and let me tell you something else that i found out recently that blew my mind okay so Mm -hmm. fiance fiance Knowles and i went to new orleans and it was the best and And you played the mandolin we did play the mandolin in the streets we made tons of money (laughs) and now we're rich um no (laughs) none of that happened um but we are in this like jazz bar and like this band is playing. They're so good. And then these guys literally pull up in a cab. They're from Austria and they get out of the cab and they go, look, our friends from Europe, they come in and just start playing with the band. And I was like, how does anyone do this? Then I found out <laughs> that. There's this thing called like the real book and it's all the jazz like standards and like they learn like kind of from that and like oh, I see. And you put your own taste I on see. it and everything but like 
the book was literally meant to be like, if you're literally anywhere in the world and there's a jazz band going on, you can do this. You can do this. And I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense because it was unbelievable how quickly, like they're literally from another country and they're just happened to be dropping by in New Orleans while we're here in this tiny little bar and they're playing together. Okay. Lesser story. Okay. Lesser story. (laughs) My best friend came over and was like hanging out at a party where we were all drinking and she just freaking walked mandolin player bestie walked over to the piano and threw open hot cross buns it. No, (laughs) better, better threw open Caroline's piano book and just played whatever. And even her husband goes, I didn't know she could do that. And I was like, I fucking did. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> but I lied. I just wanted to make her feel bad. <laughs> As you should have. I know. Um, I, it was a wonderful experience. <laughs> it was a wonderful experience. Okay. Anyway. I'm so sorry. We've gone so off the rails. She is so music. Bourbon and wine in one night is not a good mix for us. <laughs> she's a, she's mu- <laughs> Rosetta is musically okay. proficient. Musically She's musically proficient. proficient. Beyond proficient. Prodigy proficient. <laughs> is that a new saying? Beyond proficient. <laughs> She's prodigy proficient. Um, okay. So she joins the evangelical like troop that's going to travel around. And they're traveling around the South. And they're singing gospel. And it's excellent. So she starts to perform. And she is the main attraction. And in her teens, she's taken from city to city to play at churches and revival meetings. And soon, like, these nationwide, she's like a nationwide church celebrity. She is like. She's um, the Joel Osteen she's of the, new the bo- 1920s. She's the newsboy. <laughs> the newsboy. <laughs> she's Jars of she's Clay. She's the skillet of. <laughs> <laughs> she's Leah Rice. Rebecca St. James of. Before she went secular. <laughs> Before Coyote Ugly got a hold of her. Oh, my God. <laughs> my favorite Christmas movie. Literally the. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Okay. I hate me, too. Everything's fine. <laughs> I'm pouring wine into my. You're pouring beer into I'm your pouring wine. pouring beer into my wine glass. Okay. Holy Temple Church in Philly is one of the first places that she performs. And people heard her and were inspired for life in this documentary I watched which I haven't referenced yet there's like a BBC documentary about her that came out in 2011 and then we aired it in the US on PBS and it is so good and there are people interviewed that know her and saw her perform and they were just like she would come in and she would sing and it's woke because a lot of hymns are about freedom you Mm -hmm. know what I mean like church hymns a lot of them are about freedom and they said while she's singing she wouldn't look at the people and she wouldn't look at the band she would look up to the heavens and it was like she was communicating with God rather than communing with the people So it was a very religious experience. But when she's 19, her mom marries her off to this guy named Thomas Tharp. And he was a preacher and very accomplished and had gone on tours with her and her mom. But his goal was to drive in crowds with her singing. Mm. And he wanted to preach and then have her sing. He was a tyrant and very old school caveman style marriage. Oh, I don't like that. And wanted to use her to make money. And I mean, pretty much she's a meal ticket. And after a few years, she is like, I'm a peace out. But she 
decided to continually, because at that point she's already kind of church famous, to adopt her husband's name and for the rest of her life goes by Sister Rosetta Tharp, which sucks because she gets married multiple more times. I, I have a, like a lot of feelings about that when like, I felt that with, um, who is it like Madeline Albright? Mm-hmm. I think it was who like he crushed her he and crushed then she her. had to keep his last name. And then it's like she's famous with his name. And that's I mean, it's one of the big arguments because divorce is now not only legal, but also a little easier. Oh, it's one yeah. of the main reasons to not take someone's last name. I Yeah, it makes me so sad when. Yeah women of the past like get famous off of uh like a man's name and like it's one thing if it was a loving relationship and whatever but like if it like it's one of we'll get into it in just a third well i mean and also it's like it's one of the really cool things because i did like i did take my husband's last name but also i think if i was older i might not have yeah but also like i know that it does make it easier when you have kids and things like that and like it's so hard because you have to categorize under something you have yeah and then like a the- unit you're a unit yeah um it's a very complicated question it's a very complicated question right. and um yeah i don't know it's it's very interesting it is um okay so after four years she divorces him and does what every divorcee does and goes to New York City Perfect. with her mom. So Katie Bell's still in the pick. Katie Bell's there for a long time. We love mom. <laughs> At first, um, she would sit up all night and she would sing. You know, she loves singing. And then she would cry and then she would wonder what she had done. Why did I do this? But she's in a city full of nightclubs. <gasps> And they were quick to notice her. They're like, Rosetta, you are a fucking boss. So she soon gets an invite to the prestigious Cotton Club. <gasps> in Harlem? Yes. Which yes. is like white patrons like, and, and black patrons and like an insane amount of fame. Well, that's like the whole thing about the Cotton Club is like, you know that it's like the place where the best fucking talent is going. If like white people would like deign to go there. So it is like the, I feel like it's like the cultural epicenter of like the Harlem Renaissance. For sure. One of them. So she gets invited to the cotton club and she gets there and, um, the songs that she's given to sing are not about God. They are about pleasing a man and they are like really, about pleasing a man and like a bomb went off gospel music is like what the fuck the people of the south and the midwest are like she can't sing about that kind of stuff she's not allowed she can't do that and like people are like whoa we know how we love God and we're accepting of all these people, but now we're going to criticize and ostracize this woman <laughs> who like said one song that had nothing to do with God. To be fair, it did hurt a lot of people because they felt like they lost something. It was like the death to a gospel family. She had been performing across the country since she was a baby and she loved God and loved the nightclubs and decided that she was going to do both. She said, I'm going to sing in churches on Sunday and I'm going to sing in nightclubs on the weekdays and the weekends. She's older now. She's a divorcee. She can do that. 
and it's fine. Offers pour in. She was wanted by all the bands of the day. So she signs a contract with Decker Records, and they're like, we're going to record these four tracks. We're going to sign you for seven years. And her mom is like, don't love that path, but I love you. So, like, I understand. And the recording industry is so ready to capitalize on the first gospel artist that went secular. So she really is like she's the going. fucking Amy Grant she's of going. her days. She's like, I was in the church and now I am not. This is it. This is her baby baby. It's me. I'm here. And one song that came out in these first four songs is called Rock Me, which Ooh. is technically about God, but there's a line about Jesus and she changes it to kind of be about prayer. And then... In the line, rock me, it's very, like, earthy, like, in yeah. some invitation, and it is, like, whoo, <laughs> not what you should say. And then there's another song called That's All that she does, and there's a line that says, you can go to hell, and that's all. <gasps> that should be on a t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> We can make mugs. Ah, I love it. If you want sweatpants to say that, let us know. Sweatpants that say you can go to hell and that's all. I'm going to tattoo it on my eyebrows. On my eyebrows. (laughs) I just, whenever I hear about tattooed eyebrows, I always think about when our friend's mom came to dinner one night. And she was like, our our friend. She was like, oh, I just got my eyebrows tattooed on. But she was like, you know, but I had to come home and mow the grass and come over here, you know, and then I'm going back to finish it up. And I was like, you're not done? <laughs> what? Listen, she's a Barbara's diva. wild. Barbara's a diva and a wild, <laughs> wild Republican diva, and I love her. If you want to hear more about her, let us know. <laughs> we'll talk about her on Patreon. We'll have her on even. She would come. That's she how crazy. would. She's That's how crazy down. she is. She's down for everything. She's down as fuck for literally anything, and I love her. As it turns out, there is a clause in her contract that she may not have known about when she signed it because she was very, very young. And it was a seven year contract that said she had to sing or record whatever the record company gave her. Um, And they gave her some very salacious songs. So we don't know whether she recorded these songs with full agency or not, but she's recording them and people love them. There's one song in particular that the name is literally, I want a tall skinny Papa. (laughs) Almost a spit take. I almost got a spit take. That was good. I almost got a spit take, (laughs) but this is, uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to spray it all over your dog. Skinny Papa. A tall skinny Papa. I mean, that's what I want. I, (laughs) I also can only think of, like, the dad from Coraline. I don't know why. <laughs> Terrible with his button eyes. I want a tall button-eyed papa. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I mean, people are, like... Sorry, I'm floored. People are like, this is terrible. So, as it... <laughs> you know, okay, there's no way to misinterpret that song. And you then can't. This is the song that led to every sitcom in the 90s being a short fat Papa with a tall, skinny wife. Right. Every single and cartoon. One. Not only the sitcoms, the cartoon. Still cartoons. standing. I'm looking at you. Oh, I thought me. 
I was like, I didn't do Still it. Still standing the sitcom. I'm looking at you. Than me. That's no, start, that started with um. <laughs> According to Jim, no, I was thinking the about Simpsons. Little Mermaid. Was like, this one wants to be Skinner. This one wants to get the girl. Do I help them? Yes, yes I, I do. do. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Does it happen once or twice? Okay, I can't. Ursula's my. Somebody I, couldn't be the She's my hero. Maybe I love that movie. What a perfect song. Happens, what a perfect. I have to rake them across the coals. Listen, if you're gonna make a deal, fucking be raked. I <laughs> Be raked! <laughs> to cross the coals. Rake them. If you want that on sweatpants, let us know. Rake them! We haven't drank in a while together. This is a problem. This is a problem. I also just... I feel like I haven't drank a lot this week, which is unfortunate. And like, I... A poor unfortunate... Real. Are you a poor I'm unfortunate I'm a poor soul? unfortunate... Soul. lady soul lady Soul. okay okay i'm so sorry okay i also so, am so distracted because we're talking about rosetta tharp and there is a, a literal hard rock cafe okay i know i know okay <laughs> <laughs> there's loyal i'm not gonna tell you what kind of hard rock cafe thing it is but <laughs> it's just send me one yeah <laughs> everybody, everybody send me what you any think and all hard rock cafe memorabilia you have from your city it's what i want okay <laughs> from your city <laughs> I, I listen. I hard love- Rock Cafe in Minneapolis. I'm looking at you. <laughs> All I want is Hard Rock Cafe memorabilia. <laughs> I don't think people know that about me. That's a I new will thing. say the best day that I've ever had happened at a Hard Rock Cafe. Was it my bachelor? No, it wasn't. Ah. I wasn't invited because I was too young. That's how early you got married. <laughs> You're like seven. <laughs> no, it was Danny's like. 12th birthday party yes did you get the mac and cheese it's so curly they give it to you in a guitar plate we went to the hard rock cafe downtown we went to like a 12 o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) orioles game danny got her name put on the jumbotron it was the best day ever and danny and i were reminiscing about it the other day and she goes oh the hard rock cafe she's like yeah, the, I, me- I remember they had great cocktails. I was like, Danny, it was your, like, 12th birthday <laughs> you were drinking cocktails. She was probably drinking. O-R-I-O-L-E-S. Oreo's magic. Oreo's <laughs> magic. Okay. Nobody knows. This is off the rails. Okay. Loyal followers in the church are like, okay, we can get over this. We love her. She's cool. Like, we're going to deal with the Christian secular shit that's happening right now. Um... And people just start to love her songs no matter what. And she starts charting. Mm. She is like, like real life charts, not like Christian charts. (laughs) (laughs) By 25 years old, she's rated among the most popular musicians at the time with people like Duke Ellington. (gasps) She's up there. They're like buds. I love Duke Ellington. I know. In less than five years, she had you know, established herself in a male dominated field. She's playing the guitar on stage and singing. She is rich. She is famous. She is loved by her fans. She's singing gospel. The church loves her everywhere you go. She's on the radio. People were playing her music. People knew who she was. So then the Dixie hummingbirds, which is a group of black men start to open for her. She's, you know, the main attraction and it's so good and everybody loves to see it. But then she gets the Jordanaires, but she doesn't get the Jordanaires in the sense that like 
they're gonna be in her show the jordanaires is a group of like it's like a quartet of four white men who sing and they are gonna be her background singers so now you have a black woman with a guitar singing in front of a group of four white men and they are like part of the grand old Opry. So these men are like, they adore her. They're ready to sing. And people are like, what the fuck is happening? That this black woman is in charge of this black male opening act and these white men singing behind her. People don't know what's happening. Quite literally the definition of unprecedented. Uh, it is unprecedented. She's breaking rules. They're going around the country. She has a bus. She puts beds in the bus because sometimes the Jordanaires can go to hotels that she can't go to. What? Sometimes the Jordanaires can go into restaurants and they order food and then bring it like back out. And it's really important because she's becoming the first rock star. The first time a rock star goes around the country in a bus with your name on the side because you can't go into places. She (sighs) becomes the first person who is living this rock star life where she's out and single and sometimes married and either way having sex. She is half loved by the religious community and half hated. She's half hated by the secular community and half loved. She is the literal first rock star in American history with a literal bus with her name on the side. It's unbelievable. But it is now World War II. And there are segregated black soldiers across the world who love her. And she records for them and sends music specifically to the black soldiers. Mm. And she performed for average people telling them your lives can be better. You can do better. And they are calling her name and they're going crazy. And they just want to touch her and be a part of her and be in a place that she was in. She is like the original Justin Bieber. It's absurd. (laughs) Everybody was like, let me get a piece of you. By 30 years old, she had been through two brief unhappy marriages at this time. She's a rock star. She's had relationships with both women and men, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, Her only constant person is her mom. But she goes to this, like, performance, and Marie Knight is there. And Marie Knight impresses her so much that she was like, oh, my God, we need to team up. And they team up. And them together, there's you don't need anybody else. They're the whole band. One half of them could sing and play every instrument. The other half could sing and play every instrument. So her and Marie Knight are like the new thing. They are like the new half gospel, half secular show. And they're a couple. And everybody is pretending it's not. Right. There's no... They both denied it during their lives. So there's no actual evidence that they are an official couple, especially since they were both married to men at some point. But they are absolutely definitely a couple. Wow. So I did not expect that angle from this story. There is, I mean, there are now these 
two religious gospel singing lesbian or bi or other way queer women who are having these relationships together and singing around the country. That's incredible. And everybody doesn't know or everybody knows and won't say it. Yeah, because that's like the hard thing. Again, like we talk about this all the time with like labeling people of the right. past because like they sometimes didn't have the language or just weren't able to fucking say it. And it's or weird. Or express it openly. Like it's weird because like too, as I'm talking about this rock star persona because Marie Knight was her relationship but yeah she also like had background singers walk into her bedroom when she was in bed with two women like she was a rock star she was doing the rock star thing she's like literally mick jagger all over the place she's out and about she's like yes i'm with this woman marie knight and i've been married multiple times to men but i'm also having these sexual encounters with other women which is, okay, so like it wasn't like this was the only one. No. Like there were okay. There's there were multiple. multiple times that she is like having these relationships with men and with women. But in 1950, Marie's mother and two small children die in a house fire. <gasps> oh, so no. Marie Marie is like, Rosetta, I can't do this. I need to leave. This is like some serious trauma. So she leaves. And then Rosetta. After two failed marriages and all these sexcapades, which are wonderful, that's not an insult, she decides and the like the publicity company decides that she needs to do a public wedding. And she's like, she agrees to the public wedding, but also she doesn't have like a man to do it with. So she like goes around and they all plan for the wedding. And like two weeks before the wedding, she meets this guy named Russell Morrison. And she's like, okay, you'll be the one for the public wedding. But they had already planned the whole event. They're going to record it and they're going to put it out to the people. 25,000 people come. It's at a baseball stadium. What? Everybody who comes brings crystal and TVs and dishes and gifts. They love her. The country loves her and they're bringing her presents to her for her third wedding to a male in a baseball stadium. What? When it's obvious that she is not into men and or at least into multiple genders, right? So she's on the pitcher's mound and all these people are around her and it's a wonderful show and her friends are, they stuck with her. The bands that sang with her are her maids of honor. Like everybody is like, we love this woman. We're here. The wedding busted record sales at the Mm. time. But Russell was coming in and being like, I'm going to be your manager. And he's living off of her. And he's kind of like a two-timer in talent. All of her friends are furious with her and furious with him. They stay married for 22 years. Mm. 22 Mm. years that everybody that she knows hates this man. But in the Mississippi Delta, there is a young white teenage boy in Memphis. And he is discovering music. This is Elvis Presley. And it's very important that we care about Elvis Presley because he, A, was very poor and raised by a single mother. He, B, had terrible acne. 
had no good clothes because he was very, very poor. So wore baggy clothes. And I couldn't, I can't remember whether I was counting with numbers or letters, but he also (laughs) would grease back his hair, which was not popular at the time. So Elvis Presley was made fun of. This is something I actually learned in my college history class that I took (laughs) the history of rock and roll. I had to read like a 18 part biography of Elvis Presley, (laughs) but he was very unpopular, very whatever. So what he would do because he wasn't with the popular white kids is at night he would go to the black clubs in Memphis. So he would show up and he would sit in the back because he wasn't quite accepted, but he could feel the black music yeah and that was his thing and then he started playing his guitar and he said like i loved rosetta tharp and i didn't love her because of her singing like her singing was good but i loved her because of her picking and he would just watch people play her songs with the guitar and he would watch other people just play. And also, this has nothing to do with it, but he made a promise to his mother when he was famous he would buy her a pink Cadillac, and that's the first thing he did when he got a signing <laughs> contract, so we love him. So Elvis has a lot of problems, but and he is very problematic, but he also like was a teenager that was hated by his high school friends and like was like, you know what? I don't need to be with you white kids who hate me. I'm just going to like venture out and do my thing. So he was a big loner. It's so weird to think of him that way. I know, but you know what? Such the standard. Honestly, as much as I hate Johnny Depp, I feel like that was probably like that, yeah. where he was just like so artistic in his head, he yeah. couldn't he couldn't function around other people. Yeah, and, and I think that's how Elvis was. He was just like, I don't understand wanting to be on the football team. Yeah, I just want to be with this, and it wasn't socially acceptable for a guy back then. So Elvis is at these clubs and he is like burning in this influence, but he is not the only one. It turns out there are young teenage boys all over the country learning about and from Rosetta Tharp. Johnny Cash has mentioned her. Billie Holiday, Little Richard, Bo Digley, Bob Dylan have all mentioned Rosetta Thorpe in like, their acceptance speeches to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in interviews. This is the person who taught me how to play, how to feel, how to be. So people who saw her play were like, you play like a man. And she said, can't no man play like me. I play better than a man. That's why our cocktail is called Play Like a Woman. Because it's great. So she fucking leaves America. She's like, I'm done with this. So she leaves the countries. It's the 60s. And then guess what? A bunch of British guys are like, she brought blues to Great Britain. She inspired groups like Fleetwood Mac. What? These British groups that evolved. Fleetwood Mac is British? Yes. Where have you been? What? And then it just. They're like one of my favorite bands. I didn't know that. There's all these British bands that like have learned from her. So she goes on tour in the UK and there are bands that 
because of the influence, not specifically her, but because she brought blues back to the UK, the Rolling Stones, Fleetwood Mac, Led Zeppelin have all mentioned her in renewing the genre. I mean, the most famous music groups in history from Great Britain, other than the Beatles, obviously. Okay, so she's booked to perform on television in this special, and this is when she's, like, almost in her 50s. And... She's 49 years old, and she's like, okay, I'll go on the road. And her magic is there. People are surprised that at 49 years old, almost 50, she is, like, taking it over. It's cold. It's raining. She's on a train platform. The audience is on the other side, and she is just tearing it up, and she's a huge success on the tour. In the 1960s, Katie Bell dies. And this is the only person, her mom, is the only person who's been a constant figure in her life. And it took a heavy toll on her, and she became really depressed. And then, over the years, she had indulged a little bit and got diagnosed with diabetes. So in 1970, we have her last known recording, and she dedicated a song to her mom. Now, there was a Hollywood fire at some point where we lost a lot of her stuff in the middle, which is so depressing. Mm. But we do have the one from 1970. What happened was one of her friends saw a black like dot on her foot and was like, you need to go see a doctor. And she wouldn't listen and she didn't do it. So her entire foot turned black. And then she went to see a doctor. And then they had to amputate her leg. Oh, no. And it's like she was still performing at the time. So now she's like a 50-year-old woman laying in a hospital bed with no leg thinking, how am I ever going to do this? And her friends are coming over. And she's like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. But obviously she doesn't come back from oh. this. Her funeral was very quiet, not elaborate. And the church was full, you know, of people like Marie Knight who loved her and who had been a part of her actual, actual life, not her fake life. And actually, Marie Knight, her long-term female lover, was the one who came in to do her body. So she did her makeup and brought her clothes and was like, this is what she was supposed to look like how old was she when she died so she was about 58 when she died and it was just terrible um and the world didn't care and i think that's the hardest part because they had moved on everybody had moved on to these young white amazing rock and roll players yeah but the thing is they didn't do anything wrong They mentioned her over and over and over. And I will say, Elvis did steal a lot of black music, but not from her. And like Chuck Mm. Berry said his entire career was one long Rosetta Thorpe impersonation. Really? He played the way she played. He acted the way she acted on stage. Like he said that in an interview. Johnny Cash openly mentioned her. Nobody was stealing. These boys... These they were accrediting and boys, no one was boys. paying attention to right. who they, they were accrediting. They kept saying over and over, she's ours, she's ours, she's ours, she's rock and roll. She taught us and nobody was listening. And that's what's so frustrating because these men did steal. A lot of the white men of that era, including Elvis, did steal music from black people that were playing it on the 
Negro radio and they were playing it on the white radio and making more money. It just so reminds me. It wasn't me, her. Yeah. And it just so reminds me of like the scene from like Hairspray, which I think is so important where it's like the, you know, they have Negro Day, which is when like the black groups get to play and dance and whatever. And then you literally see them like stealing their songs. Yeah. And then like she mentioned, she's like, we wrote that song. Like that's our song. And, right. Like, it's famous because like they played it. But the problem is with that is like, they aren't giving them any credit. And like, you have people trying to give credit in any way that they can, but they're like, not people don't want to listen. They don't want to listen because that's not a tidy story, especially for the time. And I don't want like people to think that these like white male rock stars are perfect. Oh yeah. But in (laughs) in terms of Rosetta Tharp, all of them mentioned her. They didn't try to like copyright her shit. Everybody kept being like, she's great. So she's buried in Philadelphia, and in 2008, the governor of uh, Pennsylvania made January 11th Sister Rosetta Tharp Day, and she had been forgotten to history for a lot of time, but in 2011, BBC did a documentary that I watched, and it was great, and then it was aired on PBC in 2013, and all, all of her boys that she had never met <laughs> were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame, but not her. And many of them called her out in their inducting induction speeches. Like, really? They need to bring her in Johnny cash. And you know, all these people were like Rosetta Tharp, Rosetta Tharp, Rosetta Tharp. So in 2018, t- just like three years ago, what? She was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and called the grandmother of rock and roll, not only for women, not only for black women, but also for black queer women. And she is now considered the grandmother of rock and roll, the woman who taught the men to be. And that is the story of Rosetta Tharp. That's incredible. Isn't she great? When it just makes me so mad. Cause like I was thinking like people were trying to give her credit and like people weren't listening. They tried so hard. I can't believe it took until 2018 to get her inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame. These, she should have been. These boys cared. She should have been like the founding fucking member. I, I hate Come that. on Chicago. I mean, not Chicago, Cleveland. 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 But no, like these boys, like I think it gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah. It gives me hope towards the fact that they're like, the point of rock and roll is that you're a rebel. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like being a rebel can't beat the patriarchy, which is so weird. You know what yeah. I mean? Like even these boys who are like super famous. And getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we're like, no, she's the one. And everybody's like, okay, cool. <laughs> but we don't we're care. We're going to ignore that you said that. <laughs> we're going to pretend you didn't say that. Things. Yeah, I don't know. So are you ready <sighs> to compare these? I'm women? ready. So we need to get into a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. I just was shocked about the fact that neither of them took their um father's last name neither of them did and then but both of them still like so we have tharp and like so we have Lindsay, which was her father's last name that she didn't get 
And then we have Tharp, which ended up being like this name of this husband that like is not even in the picture. For four years. They were married for four they years. They were married for four years. Like he was, was kind of a dick. Doesn't matter. And like I feel like last names we do talk about all the time because women didn't have a choice for so long. And I felt like both of these women had their mothers initially make choices for them. Mm. Like, no, she will have my last name. You know, but Tharp and Lindsay are both relics of names that left them or like that weren't like the biggest part of their life. Because honestly, I feel like Dido, like her last name should have been Murray. Like that was the uncle that took care of her and like she lived with and loved her and she loved and like it's just I don't know. I'm glad that she didn't get the name Lindsay, though, because it kind of felt like he was like, here you go, and I'm going to leave. <laughs> well, it's really funny, too, because in the United States, we say last name, but in yeah. most countries, they say surname because yeah. it comes first. Mm. Uh, but I like the idea of last name because I enjoy being identified by my quote-unquote first name. Oh, yeah. And I think I, I learned that from people like Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama who have been called Mrs. So-and-so for so long. And yeah. it's like, I'm not Mrs. So-and-so. My name is Michelle. My name is Hillary. Yeah. Like the, my first name is who you need to know me by my surname inconsequential. No, absolutely. And we've talked about that so many times on this show because there are, there's always, it's kind of feels like a stain, like a stain of patriarchy that like, your last name has little to do with you. But like, and I don't want to say that about all people. But because it's funny like, too, because I love the idea of a family name. I do too. I, I love it. Like family name is great. Why can't we all have a family name that isn't specifically connected to, to males, the male or the female? Yeah. Like a family name can be everybody's name. Yeah. And then your last name can be where you came from. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole thing because I don't want people to think that I'm not like I'm super anti like taking other people's names because no. I think it's a beautiful thing. Oh, it's it's lovely. Do what you need to do and um, want to do. <laughs> it does make me think, though, of this guy that was probably grooming me when I was younger and he eventually got married to another woman and he had a blog called Mr. Maiden Name because he took her name. Um, calm down. I will calm down. Not him. You. I mean, not. You, oh, not him. me. Him. <laughs> He does need to calm down. Um, that was a weird relationship. We don't have to get into it right now. Mm-hmm. But um, okay, give me ten minutes. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of straddling between lives in the both of these stories. I think you have Rosetta straddling the line between male and female, and like straight and not straight, and black and white and you have like her literally straddling every line that she can but what i love about her is i don't feel like she compromised in any of those worlds like i feel like she was like i'm gonna do rock and roll and gospel and like you're just gonna or like secular and gospel and you're just gonna have to fucking deal with it i'm gonna date men and women and you're just gonna have to fucking deal with it i'm gonna play for black people and white people and you're just gonna have have to fucking deal with it. And I feel like that was what Dido was doing too. Like she was like, I'm here and you're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah. You're going to have to live. I mean, you want to deal with it at dinner, but like, (laughs) 
in the garden. But in the garden, I'm fucking here. My arm. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it. I thought it was an interesting view into because, okay, yes, a lot of times Rosetta was not allowed into hotels. She was not allowed into restaurants, which is absolutely terrible. And I don't want to make light of it, but also it wasn't a big thing because guess what? Gospel and the church is a big black community in America. There is not a more religious person than a black person in the United States. Like, and I know that sounds terrible, but she got her force from just the sheer population of people who were ready to support her. No, absolutely. And I think that's what I love about her so much is that she's like, I am so good at what I do that like, obviously like these people are going to like support me no matter what, but now I'm going to make you listen to, which is, I feel like also such a big part of Belle's story of like, being so accepted by the people that love you is one thing, but then going out and also being accepted. Like people were like very impressed with her and like they, and I hate to say this too, but like they loved her, like, you know, like regardless that she was mixed, like regardless that she had black ancestry, slave ancestry. And I think that's the, another line they straddled was I feel like both of them were half loved and half hated for so much of their lives. Like, I think that there are people that no matter their influence and the great things that came of them literally just existing, there were people in their lives that would be like, wow, it would be so much easier if you just weren't here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. But I also like the idea of confusion. I mm. think like in means of a court or an aristocratic family, Having somebody to throw off the guests that you bring is almost a way of intimidation. Oh, yeah. So I don't I don't by any means think she was necessarily used, but I think that she knew her part and she played her part. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, after dinner, I'm going to come out and everybody's going to treat me normal. And then you're going to be like, am I wrong? Yeah, I think that both of these women maybe will question themselves. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I wrong to not like black music? Am I wrong to not like black people? Like, what is my place now that I have been... I think the the thing about these women that I like is they catch people off guard. Right. And it's like you're in a household with, you know, Dido, and, like, you're feeling comfortable. You're like, we're all on the same page. And then the black woman walks out, and you're like, huh! Like, but I like this person so much. And like, they have such love and affection for this young black woman. Like what is happening? And it makes people question themselves. And everybody here feels comfortable. And everybody here feels comfortable. Like, I think that that is something that needs to happen more often is people getting into situations where like, oh, am I the wrong person? Because I think that everybody has that moment in their life. I know I had it really hard of like, Oh, everything that I was taught when I was younger is wrong, is wrong or at least clouded or clouded. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it is like, I need to rethink things so I can evaluate and see what do I actually believe and what was I taught to believe? Right. It's great. And I think they both did this wonderfully. No, I think so too. And it just, I also kind of felt like, you know, they, they died young and I feel like it kind of felt sometimes that no one was listening 
but some people were, you know, I feel like for Belle, it kind of maybe felt sometimes that nobody was listening to her, but William Murray was, and like, would he have like, would he have decided on that case another way if it hadn't been for her? And then you have all of these young, like white male performers who are like listening to her and absorbing her and, and performing behind her. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't think, honestly, I don't think either of them died feeling insignificant. No, I don't think so either. Which I think a lot of, um, I mean, I think a lot of people do in general. And then I think a lot of people who have been abused and taken into slavery, you know, and their human rights stripped away, just die feeling like, well, what impact did I make on yeah. the world? And these are two colored women that had an impact. They did. And they like sat in a place where people knew them and understood them and listened to them, which is, I'm sad it's so rare. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You ready to toast? I'm ready to toast. Okay. Who would you like to toast this evening? So I want to toast the influencers that are overlooked. I know, uh, is that what you're going to say? Yes. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Okay, we get to the same thing. So I know I felt the same way when I did the story about Alice Guy Blanche, um as a director. Yeah. Um, because there are so, so many famous win- like men that come directly before a woman who did it. And they are like a beacon. And all of them are like, okay, cool. She's it. And then society is like, yeah, but you're a genius, right? Yeah. And I just feel like... They were all like, no, what we're saying is we learned it from somewhere. But because of like the patriarchy and the way we've been taught to think the rest of us, including myself, are sometimes not ready to hear that your most famous man was trained by a woman. Yeah. So I just want to cheers to like the women who did that, but also the men that were like a no, it was her. Yeah. Because I think that takes a lot of passion and then it also hurts when no one hears it. And you keep hearing your name and seeing your name in lights when you know it wasn't you. So that's what my toast is for. What do you got? Um, I'm also toasting influencers. (laughs) But not social media influencers, but personal ones. I think that everyone needs a person in their life who inspires them to be better. And I think that Dido was, I think she influenced individual people to be better. And that in turn caused greater change because I think we really disregard the effect that single people have. And I know that like I think about all the time about people like Dido and people like there's like that guy that like just befriended one KKK member and like, you know, dismantled the whole chapter and like a whole state because he was like, oh, my God, like I see these people as people now. And like, I just think that we disregard frequently the influence that one person and one relationship can make. And Mm -hmm. I think that Dido was a personal influencer and i, I love cheers that to i her. agree cheers i love that this is the same Ooh. okay right. <laughs> what are you enjoying 
in pop culture this week. Okay, so like Netflix put up that new fantasy show, Shadow and Bone. I want to watch it. How is it? It's so good. So, okay, <sighs> there's two book series by the author, and they've been kind of merged together. So okay. if you've read one or read the other, you won't understand yeah. the whole series. Okay. But it is really great. As just a watcher, it's really nice. They ended it so that you know there's going to be a second season. There's a great, like, childhood friendship love story. There's a great, like, Beauty and the Beast moment when you think this great guy is going to be the one. I just... It's really good. It's a good fantasy world. I loved it. Producer <sighs> producer would put it on without me begging. So Mary I love shut that. Up. Um, Produ- Mary loved it too. Mary loved it. Um, okay. It's great. I think you should. I mean, I'm always down for a book series that was turned into a show because I don't like book series that are turned into movies. That's a very big distinction for me. Mm. I think a show enables you to capture a chapter or a segment the way that a movie cannot yeah so they can flesh it out a little bit more. uh-huh and so marjorie has read one set of the book series my that's my sister and um she was like i started watching it and was like what the fuck is going on because <laughs> she had not read the other one by this oh, same author but she like okay. still enjoyed it okay um, so I would say watch it and then if you love it, go find both book series and just dive fucking in because Perfect. it was great. It was very cute. Um, it centers around um Asian actors, which is wonderful and what we need right now. Yeah, the absolutely. main characters and the good guys, but also discriminated against, which is so important. Yeah. It's not just like thrown under the rug so anyway watch it it's great it's perfect i love it shadow and bones (laughs) what do you got so recently for the first time ever i watched the movie notting hill oh you did and i was like you know what i love rom-coms i love them so much they are absolutely my comfort food my warm blanket my everything And then I was thinking, is there anyone that also loves these so much to make a podcast about them? And then there was. (laughs) I found a podcast this week because I watched Notting Hill called P.S. I Love Rom-Coms. It is every conversation you want to have about the movie you just fucking watched. Why aren't we that podcast? I don't know because I love it so much. <laughs> I wish we were. I and also I'm gonna say about them, they're they have such an amazing structure. Like they talk about it. They also have a list of the so they started off the podcast like early in quarantine, like maybe even before it officially hit, like I think mm-hmm. back in January. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's only been going on for like maybe like a year, like a little over a year. So they started off having a top five of the top five grossing romantic comedies. And every week they decide whether the movie they just watched should replace another movie on the list. I'm going to say that the, the discussions get feisty because Good. the princess Good. bride knocked off dirty dancing. What? But incorrect. It's because dirty dancing is really like a romantic drama. There's not a lot of comedy in that. And this no, is about okay. rom-coms. Fair, and, fair, I, fair. 
and Princess Bride is all comedy. So like it's like the thing where like you're listening to it and you're like, yeah, but the I book totally sucks. Get it. The I, book sucks. Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but I get it. it's so good because it is just like all the conversations you want to have, and it's pretty recent, so you can catch up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just I love it so much. It also made me see like my big fat Greek wedding in a totally new light. I now think that that's probably a perfect film. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think we knew that. (laughs) I also didn't know that Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks were the only people to see that movie and be like, you know what? You're right. This is a great script. And uh, Nia Vardalis, you should play Tula because like other people had picked it up and wanted to change it and put like, uh, oh my gosh, who was that girl? Marissa Tomei. They really wanted no. to cast Marissa Tomei in the lead. No. Always listen to Tom Hanks. Always listen to Tom and Rita. And <laughs> they're the greatest. They were like, "No, this is your voice. This is your fucking story." So like, we're we're gonna do this Got the it. way that you want it to. Perfect. Uh, I just I love this podcast so much, and I'm learning so much, and it's also something that it's just such a guilty pleasure <laughs> because then I feel like I'm listening to a romantic comedy. I know. Um. So yeah. That's P.S. Fun. I love rom coms. It's so fucking great, and I love it. And what a good um, name! Too. I what know. a fun name. And again, they're very structured, and like you can just guarantee that like there are going to be certain things they hit every time, mm. which I like to feel like our show is the same way. <laughs> um, <laughs> even if we can forget sometimes. Good luck. Um, I love you. <laughs> but that's it. So find us everywhere. Find us everywhere. Everywhere, anywhere. We're there. We would love for you to rate and review us. We would mm-hmm. love for you to be a patron. But if you can't, just find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and like and love and comment. And we talk back. And we, we well, we try to talk back. Sometimes yeah. we're busy because we do have full-time jobs. Yeah. Um, but on the nights and weekends that we're not stressed out, we attempt to exactly <laughs> talk back. And we love you and we love this. And we can't wait for you to talk. Talk to us more. Yep. And we want you to never forget that well-behaved women uh, have party tricks. Ooh, they do. And they rarely make history. Mostly with <laughs> napkins, I feel napkins. like. Mostly napkin party tricks. Oh, my gosh. Casey did that one time at Valentino's, and he just broke a salt shaker. Oh my God. Because he's perfect. Well, if you all want to know more, <laughs> meet us on Patreon. Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye